Orbital Gardens, this is Mission Control. We are confirming acquisition of your signal. You are live in 5, 4, 3, 2... Hello and welcome to episode 19 of Gardeners of the Galaxy, the podcast for all of the sentient beings in the universe who have a passion for plants. If you love plants and space, then you've come to the right place. I am Emma the Space Gardener and I will be your host as we explore gardening on Earth and beyond. These are exciting times for space exploration as we wait for the first flight of Ingenuity, the tiny helicopter that went to Mars with the Perseverance rover. When Ingenuity takes off, it will be the first attempt at a powered, controlled flight of an aircraft on another planet. NASA is saying that the flight will take place no earlier than the 8th of April. Researchers working with NASA have discovered bacteria on the International Space Station that might help us grow plants in space. They've isolated four different methylorubrum species, three of which hadn't been seen by scientists before. That's exciting because methylobacterium species on Earth help plants with nitrogen fixation, nutrient uptake, stress tolerance and defence against disease. However, scientists will need to do a lot more research before we know if these new bacterial strains can really help with the space farming. The climate, terrain, temperature and isolation people face in Antarctica provide an environment that closely parallels the conditions that crews are likely to face on long-duration space missions, making it an ideal location for analogue studies. Since 2018, Antarctica has been home to the Eden ISS Greenhouse, developed by the German Aerospace Centre. It is designed to conduct research into food production in deserts and cold regions and to explore the possibility of growing fresh food on the Moon or Mars. NASA researcher Jess Bunchak is spending this year in Antarctica, working in the Eden ISS greenhouse. In a normal year, you'd fly to Antarctica. Given the need to keep the research station COVID-free, this year the team have travelled by boat, enduring a month-long voyage and have only just arrived. Jess is bringing along cultivars of plants that astronauts have grown and eaten on the space station, including the outrageous red romaine lettuce and others, such as peppers, that NASA plans to launch in 2021. While spending the winter in Antarctica, the team will be isolated and many of their concerns and preparations are similar to long-duration space missions. Their findings will help shape future research into space crop production, as well as benefiting humankind by adding to the body of knowledge used for indoor farming. You'll find more about the Eden ISS and the history of growing food in Antarctica on my website. Atlas Obscura have a great article on Quirt. I have absolutely no idea if I am saying that right, but it's a traditional dried dairy product that has sustained nomads across Central Asia for centuries. It's made by straining fermented milk until it's thick enough to be rolled into balls and dried in the sun. Different variations exist throughout Central Asia, the Caucasus and the Middle East, including the Persian Kashk, Jordanian Hamid and Armenian Chortan. Hardened quirt lasts for years without refrigeration and can be eaten straight, dissolved in boiling water to create a beverage, or mixed into traditional soups and dishes. And if you're thinking that makes it an ideal space food, well, it has been into space with Soviet cosmonauts. Details are sketchy, and I'm still looking into that one. In the meantime, if you like space food stories, then come and join me for a chat in my Facebook group, A Martian Kitchen. And don't forget that you can sign up to the show fan club to access extended episodes and bonus content and you do that via patreon.com forward slash gardeners of the galaxy. Thales UK and Thales Alenia Space have announced the 8th annual Mars Balloon Project. 
They plan to launch more than 150 experiment capsules on high-altitude balloons 30 kilometers up into the Earth's atmosphere in June 2021. At those altitudes, the gas pressure, temperature and radiation are very similar to those on the surface of Mars. Perhaps the most exciting aspect of this project is that UK students will fill those experiment capsules. School students and science clubs can carry out Mars analogue science experiments with no costs beyond materials and postage. The only catch? It has to fit into a plastic Kinder Egg capsule. For obvious reasons, experiments involving seeds have been popular choices in previous years. Students have also tested the effect of Martian conditions on rubber bands, ink, memory sticks and 3D printed materials. Once the payload returns to Earth, the experiments will be returned to their student researchers for analysis. Schools interested in participating have to register by the 1st of April, and there's more information about that on my website. On the International Space Station, Japanese astronaut Soichi Noguchi has concluded the current phase of the Asian Herb in Space project, which means we say goodbye to the space basil for the time being. There will be more to see on that front later in the year, but in the meantime the ISS crew has started another plant-related experiment. They've defrosted the Grape Juice Fermentation in Microgravity Aboard ISS experiment that launched into space on the NG-15 cargo mission in February. It's investigating the complex ecosystem of microbes, bacteria, algae and fungi that coexist with plants and influence everything from fruit colour and flavour to yield. If you've ever felt as though you needed a wine IV, then you'll love this one. A California winery has packed grape juice samples into IV bags, which are already rated for spaceflight. One sample has been inoculated with a typical yeast, the other has not. A matching pair of samples stayed on Earth for a ground control experiment. Over two weeks, the grape juice on the ISS will hang around in the ambient atmosphere. On Earth, the samples will be housed in a climate-controlled chamber that mimics conditions on the ISS. Every few days, the crew will extract a sample with a syringe, which will go back into the freezer. Whatever's left in the IV bags at the end of the two weeks also goes back into the freezer. When the samples return to Earth, the research team will be looking for any genetic changes in the microbes that have been in microgravity. The results could be helpful here on Earth to improve crops under agricultural stress and tell us more about how microbes interact with their plant host. It could also help to feed astronauts on long-duration missions. The goal here is to obtain the highest nutritional yield in the smallest possible package that requires the least effort to grow, harvest and store. Earlier this month, astronauts threw a pallet of used batteries out of the International Space Station. The size of an SUV and weighing 2.6 metric tonnes, it's the most massive object ever jettisoned from the ISS. It should orbit for a few years before returning to Earth and burning up in the atmosphere, but there are some concerns it will add to the increasingly problematic cloud of space debris surrounding our planet. Astronauts don't usually toss trash out of an airlock, so what do they do with it? I'm sure you've seen pictures of the inside of the International Space Station and noted that things can look a little crowded. With regular supply missions bringing up around 12 tonnes of cargo every year, finding somewhere to stow it all can be challenging. What you really don't want is a lot of useless trash hanging around. Like us, astronauts stuff things they don't want into trash bags. However, since they don't have regular trash collections, they can accumulate up to two tonnes of it before it can be packed into an empty supply vehicle that will either bring it back to Earth for disposal or burn up in the atmosphere. Unlike us, astronauts have to throw out their dirty laundry and, well, poop. So you can imagine that dealing with the trash isn't that pleasant. And when we travel outside a low Earth orbit, disposing of waste will be more difficult. So NASA is investigating advanced concepts for trash compaction and processing systems. 
Using resources efficiently and creating circular systems that turn waste products into new resources is a big part of this new space exploration era, and those of us stuck here on Earth can take a similar journey, trying to reduce the amount of waste that we produce and our impact on our home planet. For just over a year now, Ryan and I have been having some of our groceries delivered by Good Club. They're an online-only ethical supermarket, stocking more than 3,000 eco-friendly products. We signed up as members, which means we get one free delivery every month, and it gives us access to some products that we struggle to source locally. Since we started ordering with Good Club, they've made some dramatic changes to their service. For starters, they've replaced cardboard boxes with shipping crates, which they collect for reuse. They take back all of the packing paper and cardboard too, so our recycling bin is heaving a sigh of relief. And as if that weren't enough, they've introduced an extensive collection of zero-waste food items that they send in returnable pots. Things like dried fruit, rice and pasta, pulses and tea and coffee. They also stock cleaning products that come in returnable bottles, or dissolvable tab refills. And if you don't save money over the course of your membership, they'll refund your fee. It's really time we stop thinking of resources as disposable. If you're in the UK and you think Good Club sounds like a great idea, then sign up via the referral link on my website, that's theunconventionalgardener.com, and you'll not only save £15 on your first order, but they'll also send a food parcel to a food bank in your area. They'll send me a voucher as well for referring you, but even if they didn't, I would still recommend them, because I think they're fantastic. And every time I send back their packaging for reuse, I get to feel a little bit like an astronaut with a circular life support system. The first use of the term aquaculture appeared in the Baltimore Sun in 1855, where it referred to the cultivation of ice, a valuable winter crop for farmers before the development of electric refrigerators. Later in the 19th century, the word came to mean the cultivation of aquatic species. Essentially, it's farming in water. Aquaculture may be a relatively modern word, but farming in water is an age-old practice. Art from ancient Egypt shows us gardens with ponds used for irrigation, but they were also stocked with fish and used to cultivate lotus. Egyptians ate lotus roots and seeds as staples, and were fond of soaking the flowers in wine for a treat. On the other side of the world, the Aztecs developed chinampas, floating gardens in lakes that used river water for irrigation. They're still in use in Mexico today, and the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations lists them as a globally important agricultural heritage system. And in China, the Dong people of southwest Guizhou have been using another globally important agricultural heritage system for thousands of years. They stock their alpine rice paddies with fish and ducks, which fertilise the rice crop and feed on pests before feeding the farmers. You may also hear the term aquaponics, which is a combination of aquaculture with hydroponics. It refers to artificial systems that cultivate both fish and edible plants. A remarkable demonstration project called the Incredible Aqua Garden was associated with the Incredible Edible Todmorden in the north of England. Launched in November 2013 behind a school, it was a place for students to learn and grow and feast on the results. It grew salads, fruits and vegetables, tilapia fish and even tropical fruit. Sadly, the project ran out of funding and closed down in 2018. Researchers working on the Lunar Hatch programme are investigating whether farmed fish eggs fertilised on Earth could hatch and thrive in a moon base. The reasoning behind it is that the plants studied so far for space farming don't provide a complete human diet, and the discovery of water on the moon means that lunar aquaculture might be feasible. Rearing fish on the moon could provide essential amino acids, omega-3 polyunsaturated fatty acids and vitamin B12, and their watery home would automatically protect the fish from cosmic radiation. In September 2020, the researchers published a paper on the Launch Vibrations on Fish Embryos project. 
They investigated the effects of simulated launch vibrations on fish eggs from two species, the European sea bass and the meagre. Their results suggested that the eggs from species with an incubation period of four to six days would be good candidates for surviving launch stresses. The hypothesis is that, having evolved in aquatic environments where they endure strong currents, waves and collisions with rocks, fish eggs are naturally space-ready. It's not much of a leap from fish farming on the moon to a full-on aquaponic system that feeds plants with the fish wastes. Earlier this year, a different set of researchers published a paper on using space aquaculture systems to purify water, which aquatic food sources would be ideal, and which species could be used in future studies aboard the ISS. They note that aquatic organisms are less dependent on gravity for normal orientation and movement on Earth, and may adapt better to life in space than land animals. The researchers conclude that aquatic invertebrates, such as mussels and shrimp, could be a suitable protein source for long-duration space missions and might prove more acceptable to crews than, say, edible insects. Another article that caught my eye recently was about making better use of marine resources on Earth. Influential Spanish chef Ángel León has made a career out of serving a more comprehensive range of products from the sea, including jellyfish, sea worms and sea vegetables forage from the ocean floor. His current project is learning to cultivate eelgrass, a species that grows in coastal meadows worldwide. Eelgrass produces small rice-like grains, but is usually overlooked as a food source. The seri hunters and gatherers of Sonora, Mexico, have eaten eelgrass for generations. Like many grains, it requires a lot of processing, threshing, winnowing, toasting and pulverising before being cooked into a slurry with water. Ángel León is hoping to bring eelgrass into cultivation, improving grain size and yield, and he dreams of saltwater seagrass paddies. Maybe one day we'll see his eelgrass growing on the moon. That article appeared in Time, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes for you. That's it for this episode. You'll find the show notes on my website, theunconventionalgardener.com, which is also home to a virtual tip jar for those of you who would like to support the show. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to tell a friend. Let's grow our Space Gardener community. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Orbital Gardens. Gardeners of the Galaxy has its own Facebook page, and I'd love you to join me for a chat about space plants in the Space Greenhouse Discord server. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Orbital Gardens, this is Mission Control, confirming termination of your signal. We have activated the auto kettle, and you are T minus three minutes. Mission Control out.